Good? How many of you believe, uh, based on that word last Sunday, it was about change, change is in the air. Amen? Change is in the air. How, how many of you are really ready for that season of change? You know, I say this many times. You'll never be prepared for the season that's coming as long as you despise the season you're in. Amen? See, I I tell you, we've just gone through a season where we had a lot of unexpected experience, uh, expensive, yeah, experiences. I mean, you know, my truck broke down three times. Most of it was covered under warranty, but they didn't cover some of the towing charges. They didn't, you know, I was stuck in Las Cruces with a, a, a son and a grandson and 400 pounds of deer on ice and all kind of expensive equipment. End up having to, uh, end up, didn't have to, chose to come home for Thanksgiving, rented a rider. And then we got home, had a water leak. If, uh, you know, I, I'm just telling you, I, I had the most professional company we've ever used come out. But if you would have ever told me, I would have paid $4,000 uh, to a plumber to prepare. And that's just, that don't even cover the sheetrock and the tile that was busted up and everything, you know, with it. But can I tell you the good part? We had the money. I, re- I can remember uh, 10 years ago, if that would have happened, I couldn't have been here for any eye conference because I'd had to been somewhere preaching a revival to try to get the money to pay the plumber. Are you hearing me? And so God has prospered us and brought us his plan. But I want to preach to you today about change to maximize your effectiveness. Amen? How many of you want to become more effective? My word is effective this year. As I prayed and sought the Lord, he said the word effective. And so out of that, he's given me some more. I'm going to accomplish more with less. I just put a funny video on a while ago. In fact, Chuck Withrow sent it to me. And um, I put it on Facebook a while ago, but it's a guy with a big old beard riding a Harley. And uh, the music is Motown in the background. And, I, you know, we can talk about ungodly, whatever you want to, but I like a little, you know, I like to stamp my feet to the Motown beat, all right? And I still listen to it, but it's a song I heard it through the grapevine. And so I put on there, just being humorous, but then it's getting a hold of me. Maybe I was more prophetic than pathetic on there, but I put on there uh, about I'm going to do a grapevine tour next year. Amen? How many of you know that when, when Joshua and Caleb came back, they didn't talk about the giants. They talked about the grapes. And to have grapes, you got to have grapevine. And I believe there's, some, there's new wine. This next year is a year of new wine. And you've got to be tapped into a grapevine to get new wine. Amen? And so one of the things you need to know, change is up on us. Amen? Go to the second uh, graphic that I gave you up in the media booth. I hope you got it. I think you did. Listen, when you sow a thought, you reap an action. How many of you know your thoughts? Harold Everett has written in his book, Spiritual Reality, about how you can project or posture your soul over people. You know, you don't have to say words to people to affect them. In all the years of travel uh, uh, that I've done, I've shared rooms with other uh, men of God with that, and I found that some of them's uh, dream life was not as clean as it should be, and it affected me at times. And I had to, listen, the, the spirit, do we not believe we can start praying? In fact, where, where's Todd? What's your uncle's name, Wayne? 
Todd's got an Uncle Wayne who was just told he didn't have but about three weeks to live. Father, we send the word to Wayne right now. We bind up any spirit of death, and we declare resurrection power, the power of reversal over his uncle who's dear to him and in his heart. And we come in agreement with the word of God. And, Father, we declare that the words that doctors speak out of mental assent and logic don't in any way carry the weight of your words that you can speak out of the spirit. So we pray a protective hedge of the blood of Christ, the word of God around him, and we rebuke this assignment of death and we declare life into this man's life, divine reversal coming to him in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. We affected him then. I believe that. You can start praying for a missionary. You can start praying for a loved one. You can start praying for a grandchild or a child or a friend, an associate or someone like that. And it happened. And so when you sow a thought, you reap an action. But when you sow an action, you can reap a habit. Susan and I are covenanting together to get into not weight loss, but a completely different way of life this coming year. One of the things I realized the other day when I had to lift about a 180-pound buck into the four-wheeler that I've lost a lot of upper uh, strength, a lot of muscle tone. And I want to I start doing something about that. I want to I lose weight. I want to be healthy. You know, I, I tell people this all. This, this is a flimsy excuse, but I feel so good, I don't feel like I need to lose weight. I, I don't feel bad. And so I go like the the uh, the bunny, whatever, what brand is that? Energizer bunny and with that. But what I want you to understand, I'm going to come and put the graphics back up again for me. I hadn't finished it. Thank you. And so we're going we're gonna to change some actions. Sutton and I are going to do that in a tremendous way. You reap a habit. We're going to develop new habit. But when you sow a habit, you reap a character. And when you sow a character, you reap a destiny. See, healthy people change. Amen? If you want to stay healthy, you've got to forever changing You know with that. You've got to look at what, what you could eat when you were young. I watched my son some. And some of the things that he eats, you know, with that, I think, yeah, son, if you knew what I know now, you, you need to change your habits at this point. But see, healthy people change. Change brings maturity. Maturity bears fruit. Amen? Fruit causes health. Healthy people change. In Psalm 55 and 19, it said, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. Listen, change comes out of the fear of God. Not a fear of God punishing you. Not a fear of God sending you out. A, a reverence. You know, I have to tell you is I have become a better husband. And after 46 years, my wife can tell you I'm a better husband. I'm not the best husband. I'm a better husband. But as I brought that change into that, it's because I reverence her. It's not because I fear her. Okay. Uh, you know, I, you know, I do it because I honor her. When you, when you speak about this word fearing God, it's about a reverence. And so we need to realize several things if you're going to become effective in change. Okay. And that is number one, people resist change. You know why that many traditional churches today 
you know, I can use the word denomination, and that includes this non-denomination denomination we become. You know, one of the reasons they're on a downtrend, they're not uh, just growing, is because they've not moved with the cloud. They haven't changed. You know, we say this and we laugh about it. You know, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over, but expecting different results. And so in the process, if we're going to become uh, increase our effectiveness and become more effective this year, we're going to have to make some appropriate changes. Are you hearing me? Some appropriate changes. So people resist change. Can I tell you what? You know who resists change much? Leaders. You know, we find this way, you know, with it. I mean, I know I've used this story a thousand times. And, the, the you know, Thanksgiving come. The daughter's about to put a ham into the oven. Her mother's there. And she said, honey, cut off both ends of the ham. And she said to her mom, said, mom, I've always done this. You've always taught me this. Why? And the woman said, well, my, my mother taught me. She said, when grandmother gets here, we'll ask her. And so they asked her, and she said, oh, you silly girls, I had to. My oven wasn't big enough to handle the ham. And with it, I, you know, I tell this, and Susan's dad, Susan's first car was a Mustang. Boy, don't we wish we had it today with that. 65 Mustang. And can I just tell you, it didn't come with air conditioning. And when she went off to college, her dad gave her air conditioning. He, you know, some of you are not mature enough. I didn't say old enough. Mature enough. Remember when you could add an air conditioner under the dash. Amen. Oh, I, I, I just, I just loved Jeff and Vicky. They're shaking. They, with that, they look, they must, they must uh, remember this from their babyhood or something because they're younger than that. But anyway, uh, about to get my foot in my mouth. Y'all heard it now. I didn't say they look younger than that, but they are younger than that <laughs> with that. But, <laughs> But anyway, and so one of the things when you add them on, in your car today, and even in cars back then, if it didn't have air conditioning, he didn't hook the air conditioning in to where when you turn the key on your, your car today, it disengages the air conditioned compressor. So the motor will turn over easier. And so her dad taught her, said, always cut it off. And so when I married her, we can I tell you what, uh, because of that word, F-O-R-D, we didn't own that Mustang very long, and I traded it in for her a Pontiac Grand Prix and got her a Pontiac Grand Prix. And she would do that on that car, and I, and I had to teach her. I said, you don't have to do that. And see, it wasn't that she was wrong. It's how she's been taught. And we all have these habits that have been handed down, and it affects the way that we think. Can you say amen? Yeah. It's, it's been brought in. You know what? No one has ever been born a racist. you got to be taught. You, you know, we're teaching our young people by our mouth. You know, the disrespect that many young people have for ministers today is because mom and dad go home and complain all the time about it. You know, the reason that they have no value of church life today in many, uh, most homes, many homes, I won't say many homes, is because the parents speak down about it. Well, that Clay Nash, he just preached too long. Well, they, they, that's the reason the trend out there, they want shorter service. And with that, you know, we don't allow the hunger to come forth. But see, people resist change. Consider how hard it is to change yourself and maybe you'll get a little bit of understanding what little chance as a leader it is of trying to get 
bring change to other people. So reason I've defined a leader as someone who can take a group of people to a place they don't desire to go and cause them to discover they have purpose there. If I would say to you, the word of the Lord is that everybody that's in service today, we're to go to Hawaii on a mission trip. And I'm going to pay all your way, buy your tickets, put you in the best hotel right on the beach, cover all your food. I'm going to buy you a new wardrobe to go there. You know, with it, I'm going to do everything. How many of you, how many of you convinced at this point it's the will of God for you to go? Amen? But if I said, we're going to Mount Everest, I'm going to be there on the seventh day of March. I'll see you there. How many of you might get a witness it's not the will of God for you to go there? And so a leader can take a group of people. Part of leadership is motivation. John Maxwell, when I studied under him for many years back in the 90s, one of the things he say, passion is a leader's greatest strength. Passion is a leader's greatest strength. Are you hearing me? I wrote on Facebook this week, a little, I'd get these little, what I feel are nuggets, I put it out there, but passion is my fuel, vision is my transportation, and purpose is my destination. And it's true. See, passion, people ask me, how do you do what you do? I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about seeing your life change, seeing you come into that place. I'm passionate to see you fulfill your assignment. But see, we've got to move in that. Number two, if you're going to maximize your effectiveness, you've got to understand that change within those that you lead begins with change within you. The reason I'm all the time studying and, and reading and, and, and trying to come into better ways of communicating, how have you changed lately? Have you changed any in the last month, the last year, the last week, the last decade what are the changes that you can look back and and say that are better you know Stephen Covey in his book seven habits of highly effective people he learned he had to learn how to be proactive and that's a very lost ability in the body of Christ and to be and he discovered it with his son he had a son that was just lethargic and wasn't doing good and was moving into rebellion and he carried him to a Yankees ball game because that's where his passion, his son's passion was. And he took time off and he put, he became proactive by valuing something his son valued. And he started to pull his heart back to him. You know, that's how we can win people by being proactive in their life. Find something. I've said this to some that's in the room. I love it when, when women tell me, so my, my husband just is, you know, he's not a spiritual person and he didn't want to come to church and and all of this, I'm just telling you, let me get near him. You gotta tell you, I'm not going to talk about church. I'm not even going to talk about if he likes golf, and I'm not a golfer. I can get in trouble with it. But I'm going to tell him about the hole-in-one I hit when I was playing miniature golf with my gra grandchildren. You know, I'm going to do something to value what he values. And I'm going to slowly ease him in to my values and I'm going to turn the best hunting story or the best hot rod story or vintage car story, I'm going to turn it into something that will touch him in a way. And he's going to understand. <clears throat> and slowly I can begin to pull him out of that place and cause something that's already in him to be awakened so he can move there into that. See, change within those you 
value or lead begins with change within you. We've all got to change. Number three, only a wise plan for change will result in positive change. You know, I had a, my sister's first husband was one of the hardest working guys that I've ever seen, but he, he never did work wisely. You know, just being a hard worker doesn't mean that you're going to accomplish something. You've got to work wisely. You've got to work uh, effectively, you know, with it and stuff. If, um, if my friend Corey was here, I'd pick on him a little bit, but him and my son, Dean, work together now, and Dean has learned under me, he's learned how to be effective. You know, sometimes if you start at D, when you should start at A, you create more work. Amen? Then you, then you eliminate. And so we need that. We need to have a positive plan for change. See, not all change is good. In the Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown says to Linus, for as long as I've lived, whenever I put my shoes on, I always put the left one on first. Then suddenly, last week, I put on my right shoe, I put my right shoe on first, and I've been putting my right shoe on first all week, and it's not changed my life a bit. See, some things do not bring change. They are change, but they don't bring change. You've got to focus on the thing that, that, are, that are change. You know, one of the things that I like to do in the morning after I've prayed and done some things, I like to catch up on the news. You know, I know it's bad news, but I tell you what, I've heard God speak to me through bad news. I've heard God speak to me through good news, and I do it. So one of our plans is that I'm going to start. I have a, a, a Bowflex uh, treadmill, one of those things they promise you if you do 14 minutes a day on it, you know, it'll make you look like uh, Incredible Hulk. And, and so anyway, uh, it's hung clothes up long enough, and, uh, you know, it's a good clothes hanger, amen? And so I'm going to move to becoming effective, but I've got to change some things. And we're talking about rearranging the bedroom where it is and doing some things that will make it easier. What are a wise plan for positive change? Number one, when you change your thinking, you change your belief system. See, a belief is a habit of mind in which confidence becomes a conviction we embrace. A belief is something that you hold, but a con uh, that you hold, but a conviction is something that holds you. How many of you have certain convictions? You know, I have for 25 years been convicted to give 20% tip, and I'm actually moving above that now because 20 has pretty well become the norm. I'm not trying to impress them, but I'll tell you what: some of these some of these people in restaurants work hard for what they give. You know, we just uh, you know one of the things Susan tells you, she always wants me to use. Uh, the credit card when I go to Sonic, but it's, you can't tip with it. It's very hard to tip with that. So I always like to pay cash. And so last night, we, we uh, uh, let me just confess, I hadn't had a foot-long Coney in forever. So I'm getting in all my bad eating before the first of the year, and I went by to get my foot-long Coney with extra onions and extra uh, mustard on it. And the only thing I wish that they did here, I grew up, soon and I grew up eating at Laysville's Dairy Bar. Anybody know where that was? Well, we do. And they put slaw on their footlong counties. And I sometimes, I sometimes come by. <laughs> did somebody boo on that or did it with that? Mary did. Mary, you just challenged our covenant right then. But anyway, 
I've been known to go by Kentucky Fried Chicken and buy slaw just to add to my foot-long coney. You know, how, how many of you got things you ate as a child and you still value? I don't do it often. Okay. But just every once in a while, some fried bologna is good. Come on. I like it with eggs, too, for breakfast. Hey, come on. Come on. Let's be real. You acquire. It's an acquired taste. And so a belief is something that you hold, but a conviction is something that holds you. Are you hearing me? See, when you change your thinking, you will change that belief system. Listen to this little... I don't know who the author wrote it, but our ends are joined with a common link with one we set, set with one we think. Success depends on which we use, heads we win, and tails we lose. How many of you believe that a lot of people in Washington, D.C. think what they want wrong end? Amen? <clears throat> and that's the reason things is so asinine in Washington, D.C. Did I not do good then? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 9, it says, And now, brothers, as I close this letter, this is the Living Bible, as I close this letter, let me say one more thing. Well, I sound just like a preacher did. Just got one more point. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can Praise God for and be glad about. Keep putting into practice all you've learned from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. If we just live that out, wouldn't the world be better? If we just live out that, anyway. Let me tell you one other thing when we talk about thinking. I'm going to tell you how I think. I think positive. Amen? Can I tell you the positive thing came out of my truck breaking down? After all the work they did, and what they discovered is a wire had rubbed a bolt, and it wore through, and it was causing the computer to just go crazy. Now, let me just tell you what. I just sowed a blessing into someone's life. Can I tell you how? The day we picked my truck up, someone traveling through New Mexico, same year model, 2016, pickup, diesel engine, just like mine, broke down, doing the same thing mine was doing. And the shop, which it took days and days to find my problem, had him fixed and out of there an hour. I was a blessing to someone. Are you? I paid the price to become that blessing. <clears throat> but I was also wise enough when they couldn't tell me they'd fix my truck to leave it there at Thanksgiving and come and let them. Can I tell you what? The service manager of this big Chevrolet Cadillac dealership, Bravo Cadillac, and Chevrolet there in Las Cruces drove it back and forth home every day, put almost 300 miles on it to make sure it was right. I appreciate him doing it. And not only that, he washed it and cleaned it up some. It, was, it, it needed that before. <coughs> Excuse me. But I think positive. See, by thinking positive, it allowed me to look for the best and receive the best. I believe that that dealership is the best dealership I've ever been to until I, go, until I have to go to the next one. Are you hearing me? I believe, I believe that the cars we buy are going to be the best one. You know, we, we believe. But I also, number two, I think creative. See, it's not just, it's not just enough to think positive. You've got to think creative. See, by thinking creative, it allows me to find answers when others quit looking or are not willing to start. Don't tell me 
when I come up with one of my crazy ideas why it's not going to work. You want to drive me into overdrive, you can do that. I don't like that. Don't tell me why it's not going to work. I never look at anything why it won't work. Now, do I need people to help me see it from a different... But don't approach me about that. Approach me about saying, have you thought about this? And so by thinking about that, I, I do that in a, in a way. But see, you got to think creative. Aren't you glad that somebody thought creative and came up with the banana split? I mean, who thought this up? Or let's go, let's get it home. How about Mississippi mud? Let me just tell you, how many of you love Mississippi mud? I mean, it's a dessert. How many of you don't know what Mississippi mud is? Hold your hand up if you don't know. We forgive you, all right? Mississippi mud. But let me just tell you, we were out in Fresno, California, the home of Alan Autry, Bubba Skinner on in, and we were there, and some ladies from Oak Grove, Louisiana, was visiting their brother there. And they made this dish that's just like Mississippi mud, but it's made with lime, or no, lemon, lemon. So we brought the recipe home. We call it California gold because that's where we found it at. And Susan makes it, and it's incredible. Who put the first cherry on a Sunday? Amen? Who made the first milkshake? You know, who, who, oh, who was that wonderful person that made the first dressing with turkey? You know, I'm hoping someone's going to carry me out to lunch at that minute. <laughs> who, who I, I can tell you who came up with the idea. Who, who, anybody know who came up, put the first air conditioning in a car? You sent me a picture. Lourdes did a couple years ago a picture of a car in Houston, and it was a 1932 Nash. Charles Nash put the first air conditioning in a car. And that. Who came up, who came up with the mirror that dims when they come up behind? You know, think about that. Somebody allowed their creativity to kick in and make the world better. Aren't you glad for that? You know, with it. I think creative. See, people that think creative find answers that nobody else is willing to find. You know, I've said this from the pulpit, I've said, and it would never happen, but if I would ever quit the ministry, I can't imagine what that'd be like. One of, one of the things I know for a shadow of a doubt I would do, I would start a consulting business. And I would go into business and consult them on how to become more effective. So you can tell you, I can walk through a business and I'm taking notes. You know, if, man, if they turn that parts county around this way, more people could get around it and they could do. That's just, I, I, you know, part of it is the way my dad raised me. Part of it's who I am. But can I tell you, you have the same creativity because you have Holy Spirit inside of you. See, I, but see, the third one is, oh, I, think, I think finished product. Can I tell you, I see, I see the finished product back this way. I mean, you know, Vicki, you're more, you see from now out, don't you? That's the way you're gifted. And I appreciate your gifting uh, with it. I appreciate everybody. But I see the finished product back this way. So sometimes I don't know what we need to do tomorrow. In fact, Amanda Williams, uh, that was part of the house, she wrote something one time and gave it to me. She said, Apostle doesn't know what to do, but when it's time to do it, he'll know what to do. 
And that's really who I am. I'm very, I, I live on spontaneity. You know, like this week I carried Don Lynch hunting two days and I put him on my best stand and he didn't see anything. And I hunted my son's stand and I killed a big buck. I saw three bucks and five does and killed a, killed a nice buck. I actually didn't kill the buck I wanted, but he made the mistake of went in the woods second and came out first. And it was at the point with that. And then so I put Don on that stand so he could get that other two bucks that I saw there. And the next day, I went and got on the stand he hunted the first day. And I always, every year, kill a doe and have it processed and give to the farmers I rent from. And so my first fruits doe came out, and I got her. And I had her processed with it and stuff. But see, you've got to think in a certain way. You know, it, it's, it, it's that way, you know, with that. How, how are you thinking? What, what is there with that? You know, I think finished product. You know, the other day when we were in Arizona and I got up that morning and we've got this, how, how many of you know fun traditions okay? Not superstition, but, but Dean and Logan one day stopped when they were going hunting several years ago and, and Logan said to his dad, he said, Dad, if you'll get us some honey buns, we'll kill a deer today. Now, how many of you know it was probably more about the honey bun than it was the deer with Logan? Okay, he was... It was probably four years ago. He would have been nine years old. And that day, they both killed bucks out of the same stand 15 minutes apart. So it's kind of a Nash tradition now. If we're going to kill a deer, we're going to eat a honey bun. <laughs> and so Dean got, ate a honey bun, got his on Saturday. We got up that day, and Logan told me, he said, Papa, you got to eat a honey bun. You're going to get your deer today. So we drove down to where we're going to hunt. This is out in the desert of Arizona, and, and I sitting in the, the ranger that we were in, I ate my honey bun and stepped out. And guess what's laying on the ground? Right where I step out in the middle of the desert, a horseshoe. <laughs> now, I don't believe in luck, okay? I believe you make your luck. I believe you make your provident. But I, I picked it up, and I told Logan, I said, this is probably John Wayne's horseshoe. I mean, it was an old horse. You could tell by it. It rusted away. And I said, I know I'm going to get my deer. And, and probably about two, you know, it was a little bit longer, about four hours later, I had my deer. We were ready to come home and have Thanksgiving at home. Are you hearing me? Another thing that I do, I think simple. My dad taught me this. Most people, when their car breaks down, they think it's the biggest thing, don't they, Todd? I taught you this. I remember telling you years ago, Todd would say, the transmission's going out. The other day, I called him about my truck, and he told me all these big, bad things. I kind of ripped him off a little bit. I said, why do you think that way? And kind of, it was a minor thing, a wire rubbing. And it's a problem with the way they routed it. And, you know, with it, but you see, I think simple. See, this allowed me to get my ideas across to others. Keep it simple. You ever heard the KISS principle? K-I-S-A? Keep it simple, saint. <laughs> Amen? That's what it stands for. Out in the world, they say something like, keep it simple, stupid. But I believe it's keep it simple, saint. All right? Number five, I think practical. My thing about practical, it allows me to apply the principle of everyday life to just be me. You know, I have to tell you, just be me. You know, we, uh, you know, it's just so much fun. Just being who you are. You know, it just, 
you know, not trying to impress someone. You know, just being who. You know, and Diana, you and Margaret, I just want to say, I, that's what I appreciate about y'all. You know, y'all just, you're not trying to impress anybody. You're just enjoying life, and, and that's what it's about. Then number six, I think continual. See, this will allow me to assimilate life experiences into projects that need completing. I think continual. I'm not, right now, due to being 65, I think every, almost every decision, how this is going to affect my kids and my grandkids and beyond that. You know, one of the reasons I'm working so hard, we're, you know, I, I'm, I'm growing in my stature. I'm growing in my authority. You know, I, you know, with it, I'm working hard. So when I hand this ministry off, even greater than I have up until now, it's debt free. When I came here, it was $895,000 owed on this building. You know, and we we have whittled it down. I think Sue told me what two hundred, two forty, two hundred forty thousand. Man, I want to tell you, we're gonna have a party when we pay this place off. Amen. Are you hearing me? I also think kingdom. Can I tell you what most people think? Church. What's gonna happen? Listen, the kingdom is everywhere we go. The kingdom. You know, years ago, I had a man that I didn't know it, but he was a World War II veteran, and he had shell shock, and we were shooting a twenty-two rifle in our backyard, which we lived in the country. We had five acres. My son, whatever year it was, he was probably five or six years old, seven years old, something like that, with it, and I was teaching him gun safety, and we were shooting in a big dirt mound that I had pushed up. We had everything in place, and the neighbor lived close to a half mile away, but he had metal built barns behind him. We were out in the rural, and he came and came through the woods and came on my property and attacked me. And it was getting ugly, and, it, and my son was standing there, and I thought he was going to physically with that. And I, and I began to think kingdom. And I looked at him, and I said, do you believe in prayer? And, it, and he, I'm telling you, he stepped over a three-wire fence backwards because he didn't want to pray with me. And I said, I believe in prayer. Let's pray about it. And he got further and further away. And sadly, I didn't, we didn't know he had shell shock. And his son came to visit me a few days later and said, please forgive us. And da, 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 da. You know what I made? I made a decision to not shoot a gun there anymore. I want to honor his wounds. And we, ne- we quit shooting guns there. We found another place that I could carry Dean and... And we could shoot because, did I have to? No. Was I legal? Yes. With all of that. <clears throat> but see, sometimes just because you have the right to do something doesn't make it right. And that's a value of kingdom thinking. And we need to apply kingdom. See, it allows me to see if I'm seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all other things to it. You know, right after that, I was sharing the story, and one of the elders in the church at Dyersburg, where it was, came and told me, he said, right down the road from you, I've got a place you can go shooting. Just opened up. There was no houses around. So those are about thinking how I think. Now let's get back to effectiveness. The second thing to increase your effectiveness is, is when you change your beliefs, you change your expectation. How many of you have ever been around someone, they just believe that everybody's out to get them? 
Let, let me just share with you. How many of you have heard me say sometime in the last year or so that I don't believe there's multiple races. There is diversity of ethnicity, but we all come from Adam and Eve. Well, let me just say how good God is. God has now given me theology. And I'm going to be preaching this word after the prayer. I'm going to preach it a lot this next year because I've been saying it. But now I've got scriptures to give you. Isn't it wonderful when God does this? And so I'm looking forward to it. But see, when, when you change the way that you believe, you know, can I tell you what? I'm thankful for the people of African ethnicity that's in our house. And I pray that you're teaching your children not to believe that, that the white man's just out to get over on them. Because not everyone is. Are there out there? Yes. But are there people of your ethnicity that are not walking uprightly and in righteousness as well? We've got to learn to just love. I love to tell the story about the pastor from North Carolina who, his, who was African-American and his little boy. Uh, he went, uh, had his birthday party and all of his friends there and his friends, some of them were white and some of them were black. And he went to help one of them in the car and when he reached to touch this little white boy's hand, he pulled his hand back and, they said, and they, the, the pastor asked him, he said, Billy, what's that about? And he said, well, my daddy told me. You hear what I'm saying? He told me if I touch a black man, I'd get bookie on me. I'm just keeping it real. Now, I, I don't know who that little boy's daddy is, but I'd like to have about 15 minutes and a lot of forgiveness from God, okay, to do that. And so the, it so got the pastor, he almost began to cry. And he, he thought, and he looked, and he remembered just five minutes earlier, his son and this little boy were in the front yard wrestling. And he said, Billy, you, I don't remember what his son's name was, Terry or something, Terrence, I think it was. And he said, you and Terrence were just touching. You didn't get any bookie on it. And the little boy looked at him and said, little white boy said, Terrence ain't black. He's my friend. Can I tell you where that story was told publicly? In the Memphis Miracle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 25 years ago, the Assemblies of God and the Church of God in Christ and the Charismatic and the Blacks and White, and we held a series of meetings here in Memphis about reconciliation and all the divide that's come. And I had the privilege of being a part. That same pastor went and got a shoebox out of the trash can, filled it with water at, a, at the water fountain and washed the general superintendent of the Simmons of God feet with it in that meeting. And holy heaven fell there and repentance began to happen. And that night, G.E. Patterson, one of the prince of preachers that I've ever heard in my life, that man could preach. And he came in and he preached one of the toughest messages I've ever heard. He opened it with things that could create a riot, but it brought a resolve. See, when you change your beliefs, you change your expectation. Belief is the knowledge we can do something. It's the inner feeling that we undertake. That if a feeling that we undertake, we can accomplish. What we undertake, we can accomplish. For the most part, people have the ability to look at something and know whether or not they can do it. So in belief, there is a power. Our eyes are open, our opportunities become plain, and our vision becomes reality. You know, I, I, I'm fully convinced that if I was flying on a commercial airliner and both pilots became sick and couldn't fly, that I could talk to the flight tower and I could land. I'm fully convinced of that. Now, there are other things 
that you might ask me to do, I'm not. Your, your um, washer or dryer breakdown, especially with all the new technology, I'm not even going to begin to look at them. Are you hearing me? So we know these things. See, a belief, beliefs help us change. Let me give you two that will. Number one, you got to first believe change is possible. I can never change. I've been this way all my life. My mama made me this way. She locked me in a closet for three days one time. I, I, listen, we've counseled with people who had those experiences. But you can move beyond that. Are you hearing me? You know, we were ministering very intensively to a pastor and his wife several years ago, and the Lord said something to me, and I just read it, an article about it. He said, a generational curse cannot be handed down to the next generation without there being unforgiveness involved. Woo! How many of you come to realize that? When you, listen, unforgiveness cuts it all. And so change is a problem. The second thing that you got to believe you got to first believe change is possible. Then you got to believe change is, and I and I actually put in my notes necessary. But I want to I want to up the game. It's essential. People are dying every day because they don't forgive. And there's not a person in this room you haven't been done wrong. See beliefs that will motivate you. Let me give you several of them. Number one, God's got a plan for your destiny. Got, got a plan for you. Someone got the recorder? Tell me your name again. Marcelina. Marcelina? I get it right? Thank you. Beautiful name. Marcelina, God is bringing you onto a page about some major change. There's some things you're walking away from in the past, and your heart is broken over it, but you've given all that you can give. And there's other things that you're walking into. And I hear the Lord saying, I'm bringing you out of an old way of thinking and old things that I might take you into my provision and my peace and my healing. And the Lord said, I'm going to put some things back together that you can't. You've tried all you can. Give them to me and watch me repair that which looked like it's broken to where it can't be repaired. So the Lord said, surrender. Let me just tell you what the next season is about. He's going to circumcise your heart. See, obedience is a great thing. And it's better than sacrifice. But I'm going to tell you, you can be obedient and not submitted. Well, bless God, i got to pay Uncle Sam. I'm going to tell you, I've watched people that, listen, I don't believe in paying Uncle Sam anything I don't have to pay him. That's where you work our taxes the long form, the hard thing, the way to do it to get every deduction. But I don't beget, I don't, and that's not the word, what am I, I don't, I don't ridicule the fact that taxes are necessary. Amen? And some are ludicrous. Let me just say, I should have an attitude against taxes because when my grandfather died in 1947, had there not been a man, H.K. Smith was his name, that loaned my dad and his brothers enough money to pay the $156,000 of inheritance tax. Do you realize how big $156,000 of inheritance tax was in 1947? It was huge. But he loaned the money. We finally paid it off in the mid-60s, the inheritance tax. And we didn't lose the thousands of acres that my grandfather came into. That's kind of where you're at. You're moving in. You're stepping in. 
Let me just tell you, this next tra- this transition and next step you're about to take, the water is water to swim in. And the current of God's going to take you where he wants you to go. There's great days ahead of you. Amen? I, I saw you piled up in traffic just about, uh, what is that, that we're so bad out there where the hospital is going around Memphis. Not Poplar, but the next one. Warner Grove. I saw, I saw a vision. And you're there and you're not going anywhere dead stand still. And then all of a sudden God just picks your car up. And, he, and I saw the car filled with grandkids, I assume, young kids in the back. And I saw him pick it up and I saw him just move you over the top. God's going to put a new wind in your cell. And he's going to move you to that place. See, we've got to move into this change. And go back and pick this up. You've got to believe God has a destiny. There's a destiny. It's not a destination. Destiny is not a destination. Number two, God wants you to fulfill that destiny. Number three, God will help you succeed in fulfilling your destiny. You know, isn't it amazing how God has to bring freedom and liberty so that you can really become who you are? Amen? He wants to bring you. The next one is you can know God's plan to fulfill your destiny. You know, I, I don't like it. And I know the Bible uses the word mystery, but I, I saw something about a well-known speaker the other day. I'm going to be revealing the mysteries of God's word. I, I just don't believe he wrote it to be a mystery. I believe he wrote it to be a mystery who don't want to accept him so they can't understand the kingdom keys. But I don't believe it's a mystery to us. I've not found this word, I, this, this written word to be that hard to understand. That's not a boastful statement. But let me just tell you, I found the best commentary for the Bible you can find. The Bible. Just let it speak for itself. And man, does it become plain. Does it become uh, easy to understand. <clears throat> and you know what? I've found that sometimes I apply the Bible wrong. But in the process of it, I learn great wisdom. And God teaches me through that, that I come into greater understanding. The next one is that you can experience God's grace and blessings to accomplish. You know, there's grace for you to accomplish uh, your destiny. Another one is, is you can change to grow into God's plan. I've been growing. You know, Susan and I had a talk last year. I might have already shared this once from the pulpit, but I've been to 57 nations. Actually, I've discovered 58 nations. I've been to 58 nations. I've helped establish 30 Bible colleges that we've done some. I've seen the dead raised. I've seen cancer tumors fall off people. I saw a little boy in Timisoy, Romania, had a head as big as a medicine ball. You know, any of you mature enough remember medicine ball? The big, you know, bigger than a basketball, and it shrunk right before my eyes, and he spoke the first word. I've seen some stuff. But you know what? As much as that little boy got blessed in his healing, and much as the two people we saw raising the dead, and all of that, can I tell you what? All of that was just training. And he's still training us. But probably we don't need as much training today as we used to need. I've had to grow in to carry this. God's not going to release to you things you don't have the maturity to stir it well. 
You know, some of you heard me tell this a hundred times. You're going to get to hear it 101. My spiritual father, Dr. Bill Lovett, was given $10 million. <coughs> Excuse me, for the ministry. He was talking to God. Said He was in his 60s. Had lived all of his life, most all of his life in Zaire, Africa. The challenge of that had taken his toll on his health. He'd been healed of leukemia. Major thing. And he said, God, why did you wait till this old man was wore out to give him everything that he'd ever prayed for? And I remember I can tell you exactly where we were. We were at a Walgreens up in Frazier in the parking lot <coughs> when he told me this story. And he said to me, he said, Buddy, you know what the Lord said? And I said, No, Dr. Bill. He said, Bill, I can finally trust you with it. What can he trust you today? Remember the scripture, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you and the two words there know are different. Jesus I know and Paul I'm getting to know. He's getting to know you. He wants to know what you're really made of. He'll lead you, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2, he'll lead you into a wilderness to humble you, to test you, and to prove what's in your heart. He didn't prove it to him, he proves it to you. <clears throat> he does these things. He'll give you this time. When you grow, your inner circle grows. Your influence, uh, your inner circle grows, those you're leading. And then when, when you grow, your level of influence grows with you. Now, let me finish up. Just a few more points. Number three, the third thing to maximize your effectiveness, when you change you, your expectation, then you'll change your attitude. What are you expecting this year? You expect to... To, in, uh, to enter into this new year as broke as you were last year? Are you, are you, are you expecting to prosper? Are you expecting to make better uh, uh, investments of time and love and relationship and finances? What are you expecting? You've got to change your expectation. See, the first and most important step towards success is the feeling you can succeed. Nelson Boswell said that. I don't know who he is, but it's a great quote. <clears throat> what are you expecting? Let me just tell you, I, I, I'm expecting good things. I got a prophetic word the other day that I, Susan and I had been praying to the Lord that he's going to pay that $700,000 off that we undertook the loan for back in March the 20th by the end of 2019. I don't know what you're expecting. I'm expecting it to happen. Well, Brother Nash, what are you going to do if it's not? Then I'm going to work hard the next year to raise some more money. My whole life is not, do I believe that's a word? I'm not just grabbing a word. We had been praying for a year. God, please let us pay this off in two years so we can get the school started. We got people we need to get there. You know, they're working diligently to pay off their debts and to get into a place and to prosper. And, and we got things that need to be done, but we got to have a plan for it. See, when you change your expectations, you change your attitude. But you've got to take that important step. Number four, when you change your attitude, you'll change your behavior. Man. Yeah, anybody beside me notice the behavior of people? You know, I, a few years ago, we were doing commissioning here, and someone was visiting, and, and, and I want to say that someone was attending, 
and they came to me and said, I want to be commissioned. I said, we need to walk together another year before we were commissioned and, and all this. And they've never been back to one of the NEI conferences. But yet when he asked me, I said, oh, no, I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, you did. Just recently, and I've had several talks since you and I talked, someone was wanting to go through the courts of heaven and is challenged with the terminal disease. And, and I have a, a number in my phone. No, you don't have it. And I use it to call people when I don't want them to have enough. And I never answer that number in my phone. I have two numbers. I never answer it because I have, I have to deal with people who want a place in my life that I can't give them that place so you can have place in my life. And this person text that number and I sent an auto response text back saying this number is not responded to any it, it's only for transmission out only nothing that you send into this number da, da 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 and for the next two hours every 15 minutes this person called my number and so finally I answered and I just asked a simple question did you not get the text did you not understand the communication that come to you and they became so offended they didn't want our team and I've talked to this person a few times, and I just told him, I said, don't miss God because my demeanor was not what you expected. And he began to say, I've never had a man of God talk to me in that manner, and I don't really believe you're a man of God and all this stuff. And I said, you're entitled to your opinion, but you better get over it because you're facing death according to medical science, and just maybe it's that team that you were supposed to connect to because you told me in your first voicemail that you left at the office here that you had prayed and you felt like that it was, you know, what changed? Because I challenged you for ignoring communication that you say was clear he didn't want to tell, you know, he said, he'd, I just wanted to thank you for reaching out to me. That's not what he wanted. He wanted me to listen to three hours and 22 minutes and 46 seconds of how hard it was. Yes, it's hard if you were pronounced terminal. I am sensitive to that, but I'm not, I can't let you dig in and have that place. I'm not defending me. See, when you change your attitude, you'll change your behavior. That which holds your attention determines your action. What are you focused on today? Can I tell you what most people focus on? All the hurts and disappointments and letdowns and pro broken promises and all that nonsense that went on. Life comes at you real. There are people who've tried to be a part of this house and never became a part of this house because some preacher, pastor, five-fold minister gift let them down somewhere. And they can't get over it. Maybe I don't want any people in this church because I've had so many of much of the congregation let us down. Can I tell you? I've never had this promise fulfilled, but I've had it made 500 times. Brother, I just want you to know, Brother Nash, I want you to know God sent me here, and I'm going to be here when everybody else leaves you. And can I tell you what? I prophesy right then. When they get out of your sight, where, uh, ear, uh, hearing where they can't hear, I say, adios. I've learned to get them gone quicker. I don't do things to do it, but I really, I said, God, I don't believe they're supposed to be here. See, I don't, and let me just tell you, if you do this, get over it. Don't do this anymore. Brother, I know God sent me and I'll be here till he takes me somewhere else. You set the enemy up to come in and try to get you to go somewhere else. I'm really trying to help you get the breakthrough by January 1. 
I don't know whether I'm making sense. Can I tell you what? I'm not preaching to you theory. Susan and I live this stuff out every day of my life. And I got news for you. It works for us. Because it's kingdom. Number five. When you change your behavior, you'll change your performance. Think about that. How are you performing? And I'm not talking about, you know, we think about a performance like an actor's on stage. I'm talking about how are you performing kingdom-wise? Change your performance. Now, let me just finish this message with giving you just a few mistakes that it often made. Number one, we wait for God to change our circumstances for us to change. Some of you need to learn how Dutch taught it so well about contending. I'm going to contend for that $700,000, which is now about, what, uh, $550,000. It's about what we're going to end up raising this year, about $500,000. Uh, we raised about $150,000. I'm going to contend for the rest of that five hundred fifty, dollars and that's just phase one. Then I've got to raise another $250,000 to build the, the camp for the young people that we're going to take there. I mean, how many of you believe there's a bunch of young people need to get a Ph.D. in their hand? Amen? Post hole digger. Okay? I want to teach them how to learn some work skills. Amen? I don't care how smart you are. I don't care whether, if you don't have some life skills, you're not going anywhere. Look how dysfunctional. I mean, one of the smartest creative men, and I just went blank on his name. He, he built the, the Spruce Goose. The actor, huh? Howard Hughes. That guy was incredibly smart, but he was he was he was sick. I mean, he he couldn't function out in normality at all, and left a disaster when he died because of no will and twenty-eight wheels. I think came up out of nowhere. Are you hearing me? Quit waiting for God to change your circumstances. I love to say this. hadn't said it recently. See, most people, not you, most people are looking for the perfect church. I got a late-breaking news bulletin, prophetic word from heaven that you need to hear. There are no perfect churches. How many agree with that? Because if there was, if you went there, it'd no longer be perfect. Boy, did I bust your bubble. See, God does miracles, but he doesn't do magic. Most people have this event mindset. God's going to jerk a rabbit out of the hat. You know, I'm, I'm going to win. You know, how, how many have been around these people? going to win the lottery. Or this next multi-level marketing scheme that I go into is going to make me become wealthy. Very few people move up to that. And they are highly driven people. There's a young man, I don't want to say his name, a young man I know, and very sadly, him and his wife, he's a worship leader, incredible worship leader. Him and his wife lost a two-year-old son of quite a few years ago now, fell into their swimming pool, got, you know, was able to get a, you know, mama, somebody wasn't watching for a moment and with it. And they're healed, but the wife has turned uh, a, a health 
multi-level marketing into, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know, that, but I'm told 50000 a month is what she's making off of it. But she took her wounds and turned it into a passion and a focus, and, and it helped heal her. She gives her testimony at places with that. The second mistake that's made, we wait for our circumstances to change our behavior. I want to say that's a dangerous road. I've seen people do that. I even prophesied this to people when, you know, when you get your cup of iniquity full, you'll change. How about this? When your misery outweighs your fear of change, you'll change. When you come to that place that, you know, you're miserable about where you're operating. See, we believe our environment will make us what we are. We believe those that, you know, the platform. See, a lot of people come to CityGate because they think we're going to give them the platform to ministry. I believe that can happen, but I believe you first got to realize God's got to give it to you with that. Are you hearing me? You got to move to that place with that. I remember part of the vision that I saw about you that I want to go back to, but you right now, where you've been for probably since September especially is what I'm saying. I'm saying, and I'm not seeing the month September. I'm just trying to guess. Am I seeing you? You've been like the space shuttle. When they start moving it out to the launch pad, it's a very slow process. It's so heavy and so um, big and everything that the train track and the movement after is very slow. And the reason is, is because this next assignment that God's going to launch you into is that significant. There were some things that happened when you were, I want to be great, a younger woman. Dreams that you carried. Thoughts of going off to Bible college. Being trained. Those things haven't passed you. I don't see you going off to Bible college, but they're a thing. In fact, as you press in or are trained, as you, with that, you have a granddaughter who is carrying the anointing of God. She's a worship leader. Can I, can I, do you, I know we're new. Do you trust me a little bit at this point? Okay. I, I don't see but you need to plug her in to Matt and Natalie and others in this house because they can help bring to the surface. And that's our worship leaders um, with that. But I, I saw that, that shuttle moving out there. Let me finish this up. Yeah. Number one, you need to think, what, you need to begin to think, what are some things I need to change? Amen? What are some beliefs that you have that are holding you back? What are some expectations that are hindering your personal growth? In my 40s, I laid down my pursuit of getting a doctorate of theology. I was very close to finishing my master's. Got busy, didn't think it was. Moved here in 2004. How many years ago would that be? It'd be 14 years ago, and I'm 66, be 67. I was about 53 years old, and God said, I really need you to finish your doctrine. I said, Lord, it would have really been good if you told me back when this mind was a little bit sharper in my 40s and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I did. You didn't listen. And so I picked it up, didn't I, soon? I went to work hard, and I finished my doctorate of theology. And God, I had fun doing it. Because I majored a lot in church history and 
man, did I discover some stuff that I didn't know that made sense. You need to change your attitude. See, what attitudes are hurting your success? Can I tell you what? I tell this. I'm not looking for gifted people. I'm looking for loyal people. Loyalty is an attitude. I'm going to be loyal to you to fault. The book that we blessed you with here, in it, it tells my greatest strength and my greatest weakness. My greatest strength is I'm relational. My greatest weakness is I'm relational. And you'll find that your Achilles heel is usually your greatest strength as well. Because we hold. I'm like the man in relationship that his hand cleaved to the sword when he was defending the pea patch. I hold on to relationship. In fact, I've had one crumble just recently. I mean, it's a 20-some year relationship. And I don't believe that it's supposed to be. I don't believe it was supposed to deteriorate like it was. But, I, you know, can I probably help it in the fact that I tried to hold on to it? Uh, I got words a few years ago. Some of them from Dutch sheets that you need to look at that relationship. I believe it's cost you more than you're, you're giving into it. And I didn't want to turn loose that because I'm loyal in friendship. The next one, your behavior. What behavior must you change to, give, to get a boost? Don't tell you, just change. Sometimes just a behavioral. You know, one of the things that Susan and I are coming together, it's not just always eating perfect. I, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's hard to eat perfect when you've 60-some years ate unperfect. But we're, we're coming together that when we eat out in a restaurant, we're going to order and split it and cut down on portions and several things that we're talking about. And that, you know what that also means? I mean, I'm going to have to eat some things she likes. Amen. You know, not that she likes that much, I don't like, but sometimes I, man, I'm not wanting to eat like she's eating. And then last, performance. What things are keeping you from an effective performance? I want to tell you what the Lord told me. Some of you are not giving forth an effective performance because you have the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and even some of you have the fear of success. How can you have the fear of success? Some people believe if they become successful, they'll have to give up some things they're not willing to give up. So they never do become, they never become successful because of that. How many of you want to become more effective through change? I want to be, can I tell you what? If you'll, if you'll pray the prayer, and I, I, I was in the last week a little bit, but that just, that means praying fervently, praying earnestly. In other words, when you pray the prayer, you're praying what God's saying. Amen? I want to start the new year off right. If you come to me this year and say, I need you to come and agree with me, I need a better job, I'm going to ask you, what, what word are you standing on? It doesn't have to be a scripture. You could tell me, I dreamed the other night, I was working at a different job, a prophet gave me this word. That those kind of words and those dreams need to be judged, there's no doubt. I just had a very significant dream. And if I would have interpreted it in my flesh, it, it was a dream that concerned me. I dreamed someone very dear to me was murdered. But I sent it to Vicki. And I had her send me interpretation to it, and it made, it made so much sense. <laughs> Nothing about what I thought it was about. Didn't speak of, of any person being murdered. It just spoke of an old system that needed to die. 
Amen? Because God wants to give me more entrance into influence. And it had to do with my hometown where I was raised, which is a big metropolis of probably less than 300 now. They've downsized greatly. In fact, the town soon that I went to high school in is down from 5,000 to just over 2,000, I read the other day, you know, with it. And, but God wants to give you influence. I know Jesus would re, only did a few miracles in his own hometown, but I'm telling you what, he did some miracles. And I believe I have a destiny in that little town in Arkansas. Listen, they don't know who I am. They, they remember the old me. Amen? They, they remember the old me. They remember my past with it. It makes me wonder if they're really born again. You know, I, I've told this, you know, almost, it, it was every time we went home up until two years ago, every time we went home, people would ask me, you still preaching? So I told Satan, I said, I've heard that enough. I'm tired of it. Next one that says that to me, I'll say, no, bought a casino. It's a lot more money in it. <laughs> and we've gone back twice now, and nobody said that to me. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was looking so forward, Vicky, to see the ride. I knew it. I knew you were going to backslide. You done got one of those sinful casinos. Am I making sense to you? How many of you are ready to perform on another level? Peter Drucker says efficiency is doing things right, but effectiveness is doing right things. I'm so glad that my dad sent me. My dad sent me one time to Shreveport, Louisiana when I was 16 years old to hear Zig Ziglar. He didn't know he was a Christian. My dad was a heathen. He said, I just believe this guy got some things to say that would help you. It helped me. I heard other motivational speakers, you know, with that. My dad didn't know he was training me for ministry. He just wanted me to be better than he was and learn some things. Will you stand to your feet?